As an industry, we've mattered our business to learn about games, how they work, about their resonance, and their successes or failures, but there's a human side to the industry as well. My name is Paul James and welcome to Dev Diary, a series that explores and celebrates the incredible feats of the people behind the games as we dive into their stories, the highs, the lows, and ever in between. In this episode, I'm joined by Lisey Kane, current lead producer at League of Geeks and co-founder of Girl Geek Academy. So join us as we explore our journey. So today I'm joined by Lissy. How are you? I'm great, thank you. I'm very, very good. I'm, um, you know, just uh, actually recovering from a cold, so hopefully my voice is not too, not too husky, but um, really good. It's not showing really, really at all. Good. You're sounding great. <laughs> not showing at all. So no issues there whatsoever. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> and we're we're moving into a little mini holiday period with the Easter break and those sorts of things. So maybe an opportunity to put the feet up a tiny I little have, bit. I have ten days off. I've done I've oh. done the thing where I've min maxed. Uh, min max my annual leave and I've got I've got 10 days this is why I'm, I'm really excited right now so yeah you've, um I've got 10 days off I'm out of play, here you've played that perfectly <laughs> and I've just lucked out by the profession I've chosen that I'm a teacher so I just rolled oh, yeah, into school holidays today perfect excellent so and actually that that's good, like that uh, kind of teacher background is something I'm going to kind of lean into a little bit later with some of the things that we're going to discuss because there's a really cool facet of your career there that I'd like to pick your brain about. But before we get to that, this is Dev Diary, a series where we talk to developers from throughout the industry. They share their stories, their experiences, and the, the journey that's led to this current point. But before we get to that, I'd like to kind of discuss some of the, the first games that you might have played. Do you recall what the first game was that you ever played? I was just talking about this the other day and I, I I actually, it's something that obviously having, you know, talking a lot to people and and doing things like this, I've, I really had to like get back into my brain and figure it out. And it's Commander Keen on on a Honeywell laptop, like a orange and black screen laptop. That's I was, really yeah, specific that's, and I love very, it. Because I had such good memories about it because it was so like, it was the first time I had like, that was my first interaction with like technology, really. Yeah. That was the first thing I had. And I was like, this is, it. this is, it was the family's computer and it was used for like word processing mainly, but it had those two, I can't remember. There was another game on it and I, ca- I cannot remember it, but Commander Keen, I was able to figure out what it was. And it, yeah, it was, that's, it feels, it feels very vintage now, but yeah, that's, that's the memory I have of the, my first game. What are some? What are some of those memories that come with the game? Just, or are they so? I guess old now that it's you don't really recall. You just know what it was. I think. I think one of my biggest memories, and I thought about this a lot around my gaming habits now versus my gaming habits then, is that I didn't have much choice. That I had two yep. games at that time, so I would just play that game forever, and it was really hard. But I would keep playing it, and now I'm like, if it's hard, I'm like, I don't want to play it. <laughs> yeah, I'll check. I'll check out. And that's enough Dark Souls. Yeah. I'll go play something exactly, else. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> I remember battle. I remember Battle Toads on um, Game Boy. Oh. That game was brutally difficult, but I yeah. just played it over and over again because it's the only thing you had. It was just. You you weren't spoilt for choice, so. Did you um, actually yeah. go on to finish Battletoads in the end? I don't after think all that? I ever did. I don't think I ever did. Yeah, I don't. I, it's funny. I don't even remember being upset about it. I just remember just enjoying playing it. It's yeah. It's and you make your own games out of yeah. those games too, which is always like really fun to think about. I have yeah, I have to say like I <laughs> weird, weird Battletoads one where my grade two teacher lent me a copy of the game and I'd take her like this is you know just. I'd drop into the office at the end of the day and she'd give me another game to go try it. And Battletoads was one that I borrowed 
fairly regularly. That's yeah, she she awesome. she was an absolute legend. But That's I never awesome. I never finished it. But I think to to that same point you were discussing, I I think I was just like oh, I'm just a stupid kid and I'm not good enough. That's all. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I don't, yeah. I didn't I didn't necessarily link it with this game is just obscenely hard. I just yeah thought, exactly. <laughs> I'm a dud. I'm no good. I'm not up to it. And it turns out that everyone was feeling the same way, and the game yeah. is obscenely hard. So thanks, Rare. Um, <laughs> Were there any favourite games or franchises as you grew up? The things that you really attach yourself to? Um, as I as I was growing up, I you know I loved Crash Bandicoot, loved that series. Um, I I really really like The Sims was a big franchise for me yep. that I, I I still love to this day. Um, Age of Empires as well. Um, did you get very, it in the grain very... box like so many of us? Pardon? Did you did you buy yourself a Nutri grain box just to get your hands on it like everyone I, else did? It's funny. I actually know, I don't remember that ever ever oh, happening really? I must have missed that completely but it was it was a very important moment because it was the first time I'd found someone else that wasn't my neighbor so someone at school that played games and my a friend at school played it and I was like oh, we can play online together because it was the first nice. time they had the online yep. and we was on well like jump on MSN let's play it after school and it was just instant friendship like instant friendship from that moment and we're still best friends to like this this very day like it's just like it's funny how those little moments in time like finding your people and being like, oh, my God, you played this weird thing too? I played this weird thing too. And it was, yeah, it was awesome. You're hitting all these same nostalgic beats that I hit with Age of Empires and those sorts of things. And MSN, oh, my God. Yeah. Please. We're <laughs> so, showing our age. It's uh... <laughs> Yeah, so, sorry, to, sorry to any um, kids that are listening to this. I know it seems like I we're know. talking a whole other language right now, but we were cool one day. Yeah, we were cool. And I, I remember seeing on Twitter recently, there was a someone that's revamped a whole archive of Winamp skins. And I was like, oof, Winamp skins. That's That takes me back for sure. Well, even even the MSN one was weird. I walked into an office the other day and I'm adamant. You know the sound effect that would make when someone would send a message? <gasps> that kind of bloom sort of yep. weird. Yep, 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 yep. I'm adamant that I heard it in someone's office the other day while I was, I was just chat, I was in there chatting to someone else, um, you know, work business, and then I heard it from another computer in the room. I'm, Microsoft I, Teams, they're probably bringing it back. They're making it. It could, it could very well be that because, yeah, the, the school I work at does use Teams a lot. So there you go. It, could, it could be that. Reusing didn't, old assets. Didn't, didn't consider that option. Yeah, okay, maybe it's that. Was there a, a game or a sequence of games or even just a particular point in your life where you realised, games are what I want to get into on a, on a professional level. Now, I know that, uh, and I, you know, just having been doing a bit of digging and research uh, in, the, in the lead up to this episode, there was there was a time where you were thinking lawyer, you were thinking nurse, musician, mm-hmm. uh, you, you completed studies in film and TV. Mm-hmm. Was there a moment specifically that you recall where you've gone, it's games, like I've enjoyed this for the longest time and, get, and that's where the professional path is taking me? Yeah, it was actually much later, like much later than all those other experiences uh it was actually I did not finish my film and tv degree I flunked out no I didn't flunk out of it it just wasn't for me um I I left (laughs) I left I left that degree and I I basically had to go back to the drawing board because I really I really wanted a qualification I really wanted to make sure that I could you know whatever career path I took I could enjoy for those three years like yep. you know enough to study and get through I wasn't I wasn't never a very good student in high school I was never not a good student in university either but I just knew that was something that I wanted to do yep. uh, so after that I took a bit more time off studying and I went back to the drawing board and then I found that you could study game design and up until that point I'd never put those two and two together it's funny I, I thought about film and tv and making making those or making music for a living 
but never never games and i guess comparatively especially at the time it might have felt more abstract in that respect and not necessarily something obviously sprung to mind Exactly, and and sadly, I didn't know at the time, but in Brisbane, where I where I went to high school and grew up, there were amazing game development studios there. But I had I just had no idea. Yeah. And so I I was like, okay, this course, it's a game design course, and that's that was the moment that I realized that this was this was it. I was just hooked from that moment as soon as I started studying it. I just I still wasn't the best student, but I I really <laughs> knew that that was going to be a career path for me for sure. There was just that little bit more fire in the belly about the yeah, whole thing, I guess. It's yep. it's just it's just married. Like obviously, like doing film and TV and being a musician for a long time. I I love creativity, but I've always loved technology. I've always been really really intrigued by technology, computers, everything, everything about it. So putting those two together, games is that natural like Venn diagram, yeah, yeah, of those two things. And I was like this is it. It's just problem solving. Like that's, that's what it's all about. So that was a real moment where I was like, okay, I can apply myself to this and really make a career out of it. So the, so the, what, nearly eight years Suncorp just wasn't quite for you in the long term? No, no. (laughs) And and, and you know what? I, I, it's one of those things that um, I, I really, really actually credit a lot of my time there to, to where I am today, because in my last, in my last three to four years at Suncorp, I was actually a personal assistant. And yep. I was a personal assistant to a management team in the technology sector of, of Suncorp. So they built um, all the apps that they would use for like lodging claims and stuff like that. But and just they, for anyone internationally yeah. that's not familiar, Suncorp yes. being a bank. A big so. one of the big one of the big banks in yeah. Australia, yeah. Yeah. And obviously a really big bank specifically in Queensland. And they um, the, the manager I worked with, I was very fortunate he knew that I wasn't going to do that forever. Uh, and so he just really helped me understand everything to do with agile software development and I shadowed him in like you know really big meetings small meetings all these types of things for four years understanding how agile worked and taking that and then applying that to what I do now it it makes so much sense of like why I can do what I do in my day job now because of that experience I had and it's one of those things it's really important to understand there are a lot of different, you know, transferable skills that you can take, not just from university, yeah. um, but from but from the real world. <laughs> that that crazy place, with, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. There are there are lots of little threads, and I mean, I, look, I've got you listed as you know 2006 to uh, January 2014 there at Suncorp, but even in those last couple of years, you were you were doing some writing as uh, salad social there, so you were focusing on games, mm-hmm. tech, social media, with a little bit of scope to choose what you want to discuss, which is always which is always nice. Uh, there was some of the PR work that you did with Defiant. Mm-hmm. Um, like there's some really valuable experiences, and on top of what you've just discussed, would have ha- positioned you really really well to to finally make that that jump yourself into yeah, the development side. Definitely, and I and I knew going into uni that it's a competitive industry. And it's one of those things, I, as soon as I did that, I was like, okay, well, how do I set myself apart from everybody else? How do I get the experience? Um, how do I, it's, it's all about networking, right? How yeah. do I talk to the right people? And all of those things, um, plus I did a semester abroad as well. Oh, nice. Uh, and, and studied overseas and that really helped me as well. Um, all of those things together just gave me all these very, very like great life experiences that I could take. And so when, you know, I went interviewed at places I wasn't just, you know, just had just fresh out of uni with no real life experience. Yeah, um, you've actually because, seen a little bit. Ex- you've experienced exactly. a bit. Yeah, because because production, I I really wasn't expecting to jump straight into production because I had already always assumed that you had to have some other kind of specialization to get to be a producer role, which I think might be so in some you know AAA studios or bigger um, 
that, that whole earn your stripes sort of yeah, mentality. But it, it really wasn't like that at all. And I, I it wasn't until I started looking into the roles and looking into where I could work um, when I could figure out that all these skills are very, very relevant. And, you know, I put together a portfolio of all these things because I, I, you know, I didn't have any games that I was proud of that I made because yeah. obviously university games generally aren't. <laughs> That's something to be proud of. So you yeah. have to, I had to figure out other things to show. And I had a writing portfolio. I had, you know, um, my um, my analysis assessments that I'd done at Defiant and all those things together like gave me a really, really strong... Po- well, I, I think it's strong because I got a job, but who well, knows? Maybe, must have maybe, been though, right? Ma- maybe, maybe I should actually ask Trent, if my boss, if it actually was a strong portfolio. <laughs> well, I mean, no, you're right though. It is, it is one of those things where you do have a device, ra- uh, sorry, a diverse range of experiences mm-hmm. at that point. And then, I mean, like I think it is for a lot of people, regardless of the profession they're getting into, when it's when it's their first first opportunity, you, you're more speaking about I ha- I've demonstrated the potential to do this. I haven't mm-hmm. done it yet, and sorry, you, you're taking a risk at the end of the day, but I've demonstrated X, Y, Z, and please take a punt on me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Which I guess can kind of be that little. <laughs> that can be the, the the most challenging bit sometimes. Oh, you can be definitely. The, it's so, it's, and that's the thing. I never want to sugarcoat it. It is. It is extremely. It's a tough industry. We have like what eighteen hundred people working in the industry in Australia at the moment. Yeah. And how many people graduating from degrees every year? It's, yeah, it exactly. It's it's really it is really really tough. And like, which is why we see lots yeah. of people going abroad, like you mentioned. Mm-hmm. What I guess one of the interesting things uh, in in your particular scenario is that you obviously based in Queensland for the longest time, and there are a lot of experiences up there. But then you had uh, your circumstances dictated, I guess, that it's time to take a punt and mm-hmm. and move down to victoria so what what was that like that led to possible and that startup show and then ultimately uh co-founding girl uh girls geek academy and and being a part of league of geeks as well but what was that like for you when you were wrestling i guess with that decision and you know do i don't know or was it or was it oh, super I was obvious ready, to i was ready to get out of brisbane <laughs> okay good I love I love Brisbane. I have a, you know obviously a very big soft spot for it, but um, for me, I always I wanted to do you know really big things. I really wanted to travel the world. I wanted to to learn and grow, and I didn't think that was possible in Brisbane at that time. Yeah. And I just wanted to change as well. Like you know, a lot of folks that grow up in one place, they want to they want to get out of there, especially Brisbane being very Brisbane. Uh, so it was either Canada. I was thinking maybe I'll go to Canada. Uh, but the easiest and like less risky ver- version of that was obviously Melbourne, uh, yep. given that most of the games industry is based there. And I'd obviously travelled there a couple of times before, and I was really, really, really keen to just, just, just go for it. I um, sadly I was hoping to transfer with my current job at that current job at SunCorp to Melbourne, but that didn't work out. So I just had to move, not with the, no job, clean break, no, no house, nothing, and Ooh. just kind of hope for the best. And um, very lucky it all worked out. <laughs> Could have been a disaster. But, yeah, so what was that oh, period yeah. like as you'd, as you'd moved into <laughs> Melbourne and you I guess, starting to scrounge around for whatever or oh, you know, you reach know. out to people, throwing applications out left, right and centre? Yeah, was... definitely. Yeah, I was, I was emailing folks obviously ahead of time before moving, but I really couldn't pull anything off before moving there. It was, yeah. This is a pre, pre-Zoom world, right? And so um, it Interviews was about... still face-to-face. Exactly. And people were like, we'll catch up for coffee when you get here. We'll catch up for coffee when we get here. Um, but I I moved. I was very lucky. I had a lot of friends in Melbourne already. The classic thing of Brisbane is everyone leaves Brisbane and goes to Melbourne. A <laughs> <laughs> um, few exceptions, and, but yeah, yeah, you're right. I've heard a lot of that. <laughs> uh, so I was sleeping on a friend's mattress in a living room with their dog for a couple of weeks. Um, and then was obviously lucky to get a house with some friends and 
uh, and then got the job at Possible. So that was the first job I, I took um, in, in Melbourne, uh, given that I, you know, I, know I, I was totally like aware that it would take a while to get into the games industry. So I was just looking for things that were adjacent to that area. And yep. at that time, they were looking to get into supporting more games, more local games within their portfolio. So I was like, this is a great opportunity. So I started working there and it that really like basically just pushed forward all of my drive to just continue to figure out like the Melbourne scene in general, like not just about games, but the startup scene, the tech scene, everything yeah. like that. It was, it was really the starting, the starting spot for that, which was great. Well, I mean, as you said, like there was so much activity and so much of the development scene was kind of centralized. Yeah. It still largely is, I guess, centralized mm-hmm. in Melbourne. It's, it's certainly growing in a lot of other States at the moment. It's fantastic to see, but certainly Melbourne is kind of the hotspot, I suppose. And I'd imagine it would take a little while to just, you know, immerse yourself in the environment and start to learn the ins and outs and yeah, the who's who of the whole were, thing. Yeah, yeah, and everyone was so everyone was so lovely. I have, I honestly had such a. I sometimes I've, I haven't done it yet, but I've been like looking to look back at the emails that I sent when I first moved to Melbourne because oh, yeah. they're to all people that I consider my peers now. So, um, you know, I reached out to so many people and everyone everyone responded. I think I had probably like most people responded, whether it was. I'm sorry, I'm busy, or like, yep, let's catch up for a coffee. I, I was very, very fortunate that everyone was very, um, everyone's very kind and like inclusive in, in the Australian industry in general. Um, so it was really, really nice and warming. And I didn't realize how lovely everyone would be. It's one of those things I just had no idea whatsoever. So, uh, and that, that's really led me to obviously working with League of Geeks was because of the same thing again, a coffee catch up and like, see, yeah. let's see how we go and, and having those conversations. It wasn't even about a job. It was about uh, free play, uh, which yeah, okay. Trent, Trent Custers used to be on um, the board for. And uh, we had just started starting up Girl Geek Academy. So they were interested. It was Dan Golding and Trent Custers. And they were interested in learning more about what we did and how they can, you know, make free play a more inclusive event and everything. Yeah, like I understand. That. So really that really that, that fateful morning, that brunch in uh, the laneways of Melbourne basically kickstarted to where I am today. Uh, it was, it was awesome. It was a very good experience. Well, yeah, I mean, I'm a bit biased myself as a, as a Victorian, but Melbourne's <laughs> the best. I, so. love, I absolutely adore Melbourne. I, yeah, absolutely love it. It's great. <laughs> Do, do you ever kind of ponder, I, I, it seems like you're very happy and well and truly established, but do you ever kind of ponder and think back on the, what if maybe I did pursue the whole Canada path instead? Because obviously at the time we're talking about here, you know, the industry in Canada, I guess it still is really, mm. is still exploding in a similar sort of way. I guess there's maybe a, a heavier AAA sort of focus over in that yeah. space or, you know, quote unquote AAA. Um, do you know. ever wonder what if or you... You don't even entertain that sort of I thinking. I don't. Yeah, I don't. I don't really know. I think. I think knowing my like drive and everything, I think you know I could have achieved some great things over there. But I, I really, I've really enjoyed working in the indie game sphere. I've I've seen. I understand what the AAA scene's like, and I really think for my ambition and my own values, I feel like I've. I've lucked out and I, I think working yep. within indie studios in this space here is much more aligned with what I want to build with my career. I think I would have loved it, but I think I probably would have maybe come home eventually or maybe even left the industry altogether. Like I've heard, yeah, okay. obviously everyone's heard some horror stories about, you know, some of the, the biggest studios and everything. And Yeah, in recent um, years, yeah. Yeah, but uh, but yeah, I have no idea. I haven't actually, actually never thought about that before. <laughs> I'm very much just like just well, keep going forward. <laughs> hopefully, I, that question doesn't throw you for a spin now outside of outside 1 of the recording. One a.m. tonight, I'll be like, oh. Oh, shit, did I make the? Did I just make a horrible decision? You oh, know what? Paul, you know what? get rid of him. <laughs> the, 
the funny thing is I still have never been to Canada. I've never been to Canada. I've been to America multiple times and I've never, I really want to go. It's just like, maybe it was this part of me that was like, okay, that's gone. I've lost that chance. I'm never going to go. <laughs> I mean, from what you've described, it really does sound like the, I guess, the scope of indie projects in comparison is is what has really lent itself to your skill set. Oh, yeah, I've learned a lot. I think also one of those things, like a lot of folks could probably understand this, like being in an indie, especially at that time when we were making our mellow, I just got to see everything. There's no, there's no part of the project that I didn't have an opportunity to be, like, I'd be aware of. Like, it's one of those things, like when you're in a bigger, bigger studio, you could just be a small cog, you know, in, in a much in bigger a wheel. very big machine, yeah. yeah. And, I, and I obviously did that at Suncorp and I understood how, like, big companies work. But um, seeing everything, like, seeing, being able to achieve and, and do whatever I wanted within this company was, like, really, really awesome. And as a producer, it's really important for me to understand how the whole the whole cake is made, obviously. Yeah. Yeah, yeah no, that makes a lot of sense, yeah. The, and the, the cake sort of analogy being perfect <laughs> there in that respect, or fingers in many pies, all those yeah. sorts of things. But I mean, that's... <laughs> You're right. Like that is the nature of the role at the end yeah. of the day, and mm-hmm. and um, everything that we've kind of discussed so far, it just it makes so much sense that mm-hmm. with the various different skills you've kind of picked up, the things you've learnt that landing in that sort of role at a studio of that sort of size, mm. it just seems perfect. Yeah. So, and a a big thing that I guess that is not specifically about you making games, and you mentioned it just a moment ago, and we've alluded to it a couple of times, is the Girls Geek Academy. Mm-hmm. For anyone that, whether they're internationally or just has not heard about it at this particular point, are you able to talk to me a little bit about the program? Because, I mean, this is something that really kind of pricked my interest when I think I heard about it a couple of years ago, I think, at this stage. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, that's me being a a, a games enthusiast, but also my teacher hat sliding on. I'm going, oh, my God, there's so much to this that could be done. And Mm. um, I'm sure there's a lot of people, though, that aren't necessarily familiar. So if you're able to just talk a little bit about that, that'd be great. Yeah, so Girl Geek Academy, we are five founders and uh, basically our goal is to educate uh, young women and girls to understand and build technology. Um, And that can be anything. We want to see what the internet would look like if more women were behind making it. Uh, There is a big pipeline problem across all different of of the STEM networks. We definitely focus on the technology side of things. So we have focuses on, you know, uh, software engineering, um, startup culture, building businesses, making friends, making games and really responding to the, the world around us. It was obviously started off. Uh, we started off very much on like an events-based um, model, so running events to encourage more young oh, yeah, okay. girls. But as we've proceeded and, and continue to go through it, it's it's very, very reflective of what's happening in the industry at the time. So whatever's going on in the world, we're trying to figure out how we can support and respond to it because sadly, it was one of those things. It's like, oh, okay, cool. We'll start up this company. We'll run these events. And then in five years' time, problem solved. We'll be done. We won't be needed anymore. Five High years later, around and we're... <laughs> I know. five years, six years later, unfortunately, this is this is not a problem that's been solved yet across both games and technology. And, yeah, well, I mean, yeah. I, I walk past, uh, you know, just and I just focus on my my school that I work work at. I I walk past the IT rooms and mm-hmm. the female representation is unbelievably low. And in a couple of cases, I walk past and it's completely non-existent. Outside of in that particular case, the teacher. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not. And it's the thing is the problem is, and I guess it's probably working in some areas for sure. But yeah, I guess on that big picture sort of thing, there's still a ways to go. 
and a lot of it's around representation representation it's awesome to hear like having a, a, a woman as an it teacher would be amazing but yeah. it is one of those things like we we worked with we have worked with schools before and and, and helping them review their curriculums and and review their um how they're approaching it and a lot of the time you know they're seeing when it's uh, a subject that everyone has to do uh, you know, women and young girls, young girls are loving it. They enjoy it and they thrive in it. But as soon as there's a opportunity where they have to choose the subjects, they're obviously looking around to see if this is for them. And yes. they're looking at uh, media. They're looking at even potentially the pamphlets that the schools are giving out. And a lot of the time, sadly, history is repeating itself that they're not seeing themselves within that particular It's very one-way traffic still. Exactly. And and sadly, that's that's continuing to be the story that we're seeing is just a lack of representation and, and understanding that they can they can achieve that thing. It's 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 one of those things that's so hard to explain to someone that oh, you know, why don't, they just don't do it because they they're not good at it or they don't want to do it. And it's yeah. it's not about that. It's about being able to see yourself in that position. And that's why you know, I always talk about my journey into games because I didn't realize I could be in games because I never saw myself in games until I yep. was in my mid-20s. And, you know, that sometimes doesn't happen to people at all. Or someone, you know, that may not happen to them until they've already, they're already on another career path. And it's it's one of those things. It's about representation and it's about just inviting people in. And also yeah. that's when we say friendship, it's really important because we need to have our support network we need to have our girl gang um you know those you know the people that run a lot of these big studios a lot of big companies not just game studios yeah they're all big boardrooms filled with with men that have their Mostly own men. networks yeah. they have their own networks already they have their rolodexes that they call on um, women also need to have that as well and other underrepresented genders as well so it's something that we really focus on and every year we sit back and and try and figure out what we're going to do next and and see what the industry needs at that point in time uh, so that's that's really what we focus on. But focus on. So we've run anything from game jams for um, for gender equality. We've run yep. workshops for young girls teaching them how to play Overwatch, which was one of my favorite events. Um, we I run, can imagine <laughs> it was so fun. Like it's really funny watching. Like you know they just play and they're like oh yeah okay cool and then the next minute everyone's just like yelling the competitive screaming, juices have kicked and in. like they're also just they they were complete strangers and they're all of a sudden like really close friends and that's like a really really important thing to say is that you know games just aren't about you know sitting in a basement anymore it's that stereotype is done it's about they bring people together and they, they really really do and especially i'm sure we can all attest to 2020 being the year of like games <laughs> saved us all um, I definitely At, the year that. of Animal Crossing. I guess yeah. the they really, if, if if we want to be specific. Yeah. Now I, I don't know. I I got a little bit frustrated with the online in that particular title, but <laughs> yes, yeah, it, like there's a lot of games, and Animal Crossing was absolutely one of them. Fall Guys and those sort of things as well. Yeah. about bringing people together and getting of people course. playing alongside one another, and yeah. and on on these various different scales, that's really important. One of the things you actually only really said in passing there, but that really kind of just something again this is kind of more in the teacher <laughs> side of the brain I, th I think about the IT classrooms that we've got there and you spoke about you know pamphlets and those sort of things and and pe people being able to look at those those pamphlets or whatever it is whether it's a poster or whatever the case happens mm -hmm. to be and actually seeing someone you know someone there that you know, they, they can imagine themselves being in that spot and I th there's there's no posters of of women in whatever these various roles. Are. I'm not saying there's necessarily posters of men either. I'm trying to think of a couple of them. Robots, uh, all robots. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but like that sort of thing, 
if you can see someone who's already doing it, you can. There's a greater chance of you seeing yourself doing that as well. Of course, and yeah. I think that makes. Me, I might. I might have to end up having cause uh, cause some issues when I go back to work in a few weeks and just say, "Hey, can we get a little bit of stuff up here? Like, it's, it's going to make a big difference." And that's the thing. Everyone's like, "Oh, it's all about pink, making it pink." It's like actually not that about that at all. It's about no, it's just being able to see yourself. Yeah, yeah, exactly. We actually were very. Um, we got federal funding uh, a few years. It feels like. A million years ago it was a few years ago now and uh girl geek academy re-ran a teach the teachers program and essentially what we did is we worked with a teacher advocate who obviously um except for one of our co-founders we aren't we're not um uh education education specialists yep. uh, one of our um co-founders tammy is uh but she's living in america um but we we hired someone to come in and help us be our translators to the teaching world and essentially we just we built these curriculums for teachers to run within their own schools and it was about bringing technology and making it really really accessible and we developed these felt um arduino run robots so you could stitch them together um put in the boards and then plug them in and program them to do different things. And it was this interesting fusion of like traditional home home economics and technology. And it was a a really interesting gateway to be like, okay, we've got this thing, but it's not just like spreadsheets and learning scripts or HTML. It's like really, really tangible. It's really accessible. And people can see it instantly get reactions from these robots that they're programming. So that was a program that we were very, very proud of. And it's, it's one of those things of even just giving teachers understanding and sometimes helping teachers understand how to teach technology because it's it's really overwhelming because kids are growing up way quicker than we ever were with yeah. technology and it's it's definitely i understand why it can be so so like overwhelming to be like okay all of a sudden i have to know all of this other stuff on top of all the basics right um so this program was really to help the teachers understand it and give them the knowledge and the the, all the materials to actually run these programs themselves. So that was really awesome. Thoroughly enjoyed that. It was a great, a lot of ironing. We had to do a lot of ironing to set up the things and felt and get it all ready to send off. Oh, yeah, of a lot of it was handmade. So maybe, was maybe, maybe one of the less exciting parts being the ironing. But <laughs> yeah. Well, no, I mean, like, yeah, you speak about that. And again, like what it could be for potentially the teachers. And I think about last year in particular and going into lockdown and all those sorts of things. And the, the number of staff, I, I guess there's a certain age demographic, but I won't be so specific, that were really quite overwhelmed by the idea of doing all this stuff online mm-hmm. and so i can only imagine what it must be like for those same people when you know they're hearing about uh, from the, the students these various different platforms they've jumped on whether it's social media based or not and it's just fe- yeah. it must feel like to them it's changing every five minutes yeah and, and in some fun. in some ways it, it kind does. of is at it times does. Is it TikTok? Um, is it fine? What's going yeah. on? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's it's moving at a million miles a minute, and mm-hmm. if you don't really have your ear to the ground, if that's not really your your thing, then it just feels like they're talking a whole other language, and that you'll a mountain that's too big for them to climb. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I think there's some real value in what you've what you've spoken about there in terms of the education of staff as well. So yeah, definitely, it's really quite cool. Um, certainly, a few things that I might have to bring with me to just yeah, poke and pro- <laughs> poke and prod a few people anyway. Um, because, yeah, like I said, I've, I've seen the program before, but I think just kind of doing some of the digging that I have for, for the sake of this and then some of the things you've raised today, I think it's just kind of reaffirmed to me. I, I need to just kind of prod a few people, at least in a few directions, say, hey, like, let's let's go and look into this a little bit. Uh, so. more, more importantly as well, we actually brought out a book series a couple of years ago as well with Penguin. Um, and that was oh, nice. really, really exciting. It was about, uh, it's basically Babysitter's Club, but for girls in tech. 
So girls in primary school um, becoming friends and learning everything about tech. So each book was like a different style of technology. So one was about yeah. like building a business. One was about going to an esports event and entering an esports event, which was really cool. Obviously, my favorite. And esports are cool. <laughs> and it was really you know one of those things of once again representation and and mass mass market mass influence to girls at that specific age because that's when they're making those critical decisions like all those yes. games that i was talking about that really was a big moment for me when i was like you know eight seven nine that age where you're like oh this is cool and you're you know you can you're open to all these different things and you're not at that stage where you're starting to get shamed or you're starting to get like oh that's not cool that i like this thing or whatever it is when you start getting moving on to your teen years so that book series was something i'm very very proud of and super super awesome and we still get lots of kids write into us and saying how much they loved it and all that stuff that's fantastic yeah it's very very cute loved it so that's a fantastic initiative that's going on. And please, anyone listening, be sure to go check out in a little bit more detail. I think there's a lot you'll take from it. But we'll cycle a little bit back to kind of your development side. And mm-hmm. we've, we've spoken about kind of that, that step into League of Geeks. What's it like working in a studio that is now a two-time Studio of the Year winner at the AGDAs and and working on a project like Armello that is just so beloved by so many people? What, what's that like for you to be a part of that on a, on a daily basis? And I guess this last 12 months it's maybe been a little bit different than what, what's what's it like kind of uh, and how have, how have you kind of developed within that role since as you said you know mm. you, you jumped in on a producer level from the get-go what was that like for you as you were trying to get your sea legs and compare <laughs> compared to say now for example i honestly i feel like I've, I've i've been with league of geeks for i think just on six years but it feels like forever and it's, well, that's because last year felt like 20 i years, know so. i don't even know what time is anymore <laughs> but honestly it's even today, I I'm, I continuously to be impressed. As a producer, I get to see what everyone's building and making. And my role as a producer is to really just make sure uh, people are empowered to do that yep. and that they make the right decisions and that I help them um, on a day-to-day do what they do best. And it is, we've, we've hired incredibly talented and amazingly smart people. And every single day I get to work with them and solve problems and... I just, I honestly, like, it's one of those jobs that I feel very, very lucky that that is what I get to do on a day-to-day basis. Like, I am a problem solver. I'm a, I'm a know-it-all. I know my mum would, would, would definitely agree to that as a kid, just being, like, <laughs> I, need, I need to know everything about everything. And I get to turn that into a career and get paid for it and, and you know, all this, all this great stuff and see these people put together a video game. It is, it is the best. It is, it is awesome. And every day is different. Every day is, like so incredibly different like as a producer it is a constant nightmare trying to like figure out like you know moving pieces yeah it's one of those things i i keep i have to say to my team sometimes like if i don't get something done it's not because i didn't want to it's unfortunately there were five more things that had a higher priority and every day i'm like you know constantly ticking on ticking through that list of like what's going to be the highest priority and everything changes even on an hour to hour basis it can change um, but it's just great. those I, promises. Don't worry, I'll get there. I swear. <laughs> or sometimes I'm like, sorry, it's just not gonna get done. Yeah. <laughs> and it's and it's one of those things working in a in a smaller studio. Even bigger studios have the same problem. It's games are an incredibly incredibly different thing, difficult thing to pull off. So oh, yeah. we're constantly trying to you know make sure that we're building um, building a game in a sustainable manner. That's a big thing that we try and do at Log. Uh, but it's great. And I I honestly you know I I I can't believe how far I've gotten I think in in this period of time but it's 
really just down to the fact that I just absolutely love what I do. Absolutely love it. Definitely selling yourself short a little bit with the uh, know-it-all sort of thing. I think chasing knowledge is absolutely not quite uh, in that <laughs> in that category there. I understand what you're going for. Yeah. <laughs> so what is it? What was that development process for for Armelo like? And I guess because it's it's sprung legs in the years, even since its initial launch. What yeah. what's it been like, kind of working on that game in a on a more ongoing basis, I suppose. Yeah, definitely. I don't know. I think a few people have heard this story before, but Armelo was never meant to be a games as a service, what we call games as a service product, like continuing yep. to live. It was. It was definitely. I came on board uh, just before they hit early access, so I think about a year before it went live. Um, and at that point it was still like, okay, yeah, we'll release this game and, you know, we might do a couple of patches, but then after that we'll start looking on to the next project. But during early access was when we realized that our, our ability as a team to constantly do updates and, and the joy that we have from shipping things, seeing the reactions coming back and, and continuing to iterate was something that we really loved as a team. So from there, we actually made this game into a games as a service product very organically and very yeah. responsive to all of our community members and, and figuring out what was best for the game. Uh, and it was something that really just spiraled and continued to spiral. We saw, you know, the, the launch was, was good. It was, it was, yeah. it was a success, but what we saw is it just year on year just continued to grow and grow and grow. People wanting more and more. And it was it was really interesting. And obviously the industry has changed immensely since then too. Like if we did our time over now, we would do things very differently. Um, but well, I mean that that yeah. whole idea of kind of your games as a service really. I mean, twenty fourteen when the uh, is kind of that year that you know Destiny came out and we yeah. and that kind of opened up a lot of people's perspectives to that sort of a game. I think mm. everyone kind of bundled everything in a in a single contained experience or a world of warcraft and, yeah. was, and people didn't really explore or maybe even have a concept of what could be in the middle yeah and especially and for there an is in- a middle yeah especially for an indie studio as well like being a smaller team it was something that obviously we had to we didn't have the infrastructure of a of a destiny or of like a much bigger team yeah. so it was something we had to be very smart with and and figure out how to do pretty quickly and lean on really good technologies that could help us get to that point. So that was, yeah, it was, it was a really interesting learning experience and we've learned a lot as a studio on, on what we did on our mellow. I can imagine. Yeah. Now you spoke uh, so much about how you all enjoyed that idea of actually jumping back in and doing more with it. So how do you then get to the (laughs) point where, and I guess this, this leads to some murky territory where you can't talk that much about, mm-hmm. but um, how do you eventually as a team, maybe even as an individual go, okay, it's time for us to now yeah. try something else. And obviously there's still support from Mallow and the mm-hmm. community is loving it, but uh, like where, yeah, how do you land on that? Okay. As a studio, our main focus now is just starting to shift and tip towards whatever is next how do, yeah. how do you land on that yeah definitely so we have our three founders of league of geeks um trent ty and blake uh yep. they they used to work together at a, another studio in melbourne called taurus games and yes. how league of geeks was formed was off them after hours coming together and paper prototyping Armello. and that was what they were great at as a team on in a taurus they were like the pitching team they would often um come up with pitches to, to give to big studio, uh, big IP holders to basically create games within Taurus. Yep. So they were really seasoned in this, like putting an idea together and selling it. Um, so there was a point in time that we knew that Armello, you know, there are, there are life cycles on games as service games. We yep. aren't going to be a 
World of Warcraft. We aren't, unfortunately. Yeah. That's an outlier, a complete outlier. They are surviving that long. So games and service, there is going to be an end to this 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 road. Um, yeah. So that was a few years ago now. We're like, okay, we do need to plan for the future, whether it's two teams, whether it's us moving across, whatever it was at that time. And so the founders did start to, once again, do what they do best and start to think of new projects together, knowing the team that we had and where we wanted to go. And uh, it was a really funny experience. What they did is then they would bring those ideas to the team and we kind of like Australian Idol would be like, yay or nay. Because <laughs> they never had that before. This It was just them before and I'm mellow. So who was, who was the Mark Holden of the whole group? <laughs> that's, a good, that's a very good question. Actually. Like that really crazy eccentric one. And I, I still remember that day in the room and like, you know, their breaths being held and being like, okay, what are they going to say? And everyone being like, hmm, okay, yeah. And all of a sudden someone's jumping on a table for <laughs> inexplicable reasons. And and it was a slow burn. We took this new project on a very, very slow burn. I can't um, believe we made Australian Idol references. I'm, I'm so impressed by <laughs> that's the another, That's another That's another one. That's another probably older. Re- Is that still on even more? I don't even know. Oh, <laughs> maybe the Americans still have it, but I, I feel yeah. like in Australia it's been dead for a decade, I think. <laughs> Um, so then, and then obviously from there, uh, we really started building out like a prototype team. So a small team to start, um, looking at prototyping and, um, we, we worked with Phil Victoria to, to get that, get funding to prototype that that stage. Um, and then from there, obviously looking at, um, how to fund the new project, uh, sadly isn't among us. We never made our big among us fortune (laughs) or maybe one day, I think was it. It's done well, but yeah, there's, there's a certainly a different scale to what's happened with among us. Yeah. Yeah, so we were able to sustain the studio at that time, but we weren't going to be able to sustain a brand new IP being built. So we would then obviously go to um, pitching to different publishers, and that's how we met Private Division. So obviously uh, the founding team, especially Trent and Blake, are definitely uh, in the before times, uh, would travel a lot, networking with people. Obviously in Australia we we have the the um, difficulty module of um, distance, Right. Yeah, we're, the we're already remote. Yes, yeah. exactly. <laughs> so making sure that we're connected with our, you know, ma- mainly American and some European friends as well yeah. it was something that we we're always good at. So with our mellow, we were constantly traveling and showcasing the game, but it also meant that we could cont- continue working with our networks and meeting people. And for me, that was great too, being early in my career because I, I could I could meet amazing people that I ended up calling my mentors and all that kind of stuff and that was so much really, to really learn great. yeah exactly and just like picking other people's brains i think it's a it's one of the magic things about the games industry is how you know people are very clever at talking around ndas like i'll i'll talk through and, and give you as much information as i can but people are very without good at talking spilling in the beans code. on anything yeah. exactly yeah and and we could do that and share a lot of these problems that we solve and i think that's um really really awesome but from there obviously finding funding for this project and then from there, it was just it was just what we call pre-production. So figuring out the bones of, of this game. And uh, then 2020 happened. And it's been incredibly difficult to do this kind of problem yeah, solving remotely. Uh, we saw some studios go work from home and ship their games last year. And I think that that That's would be awesome. That would be, But that would be awesome for me. I would imagine because you it's a known quantity at that stage. You'd yeah. be in the comfort of your own home fixing bugs. Sure, it was probably still very difficult, but the point in this project now that we've been at last year is trying to solve problems and it's and come up with ab- abstract ideas and it's been so incredibly difficult to do remote we've slowly but surely been coming back to the studio now but yeah um 
yeah, that's, that's yeah. It's that's the game, I guess, is in a far more gestational period as opposed to some of these others that are yes, yeah, exactly. Well and truly developed, and it's just as you said, kind of bug fixing and putting the finishing touches on. It's yeah, <laughs> probably very convenient, I guess, for some that they were entering that period of development yes. when the year went. Uh, sorry, when the world went to hell, <laughs> um, that they were able to actually polish it off the way in the ways that they exactly. did. What is, again, tr- trying to steer away from the game specifically itself, but what is the support of some uh, an entity like Private Division? We, you know, yeah. They're huge when they're, atta- you know, they're attached to Take-Two and, and everything there. Um, what does that mean for, I guess, the scope of the studio, for security, for... Mm. D- does it... Ha- again, this is, I guess, the closest I'm going to get to the game. Uh, the scope of the game, like, does it, does it just... What does it kind of mean for everyone involved and the the product that you've got that yeah, sort of support? Definitely. So something that we learned on our mellow. So we we published we fully self published our mellow. We you know yeah. Trent <laughs> Trent notoriously did a one month press tour before we launched our mellow, and I was left in Australia on my own as a relatively still junior producer, freaking out. Uh, while Trent's in a different time zone, and he did the press the whole press beat on his own. It was. It was pretty gnarly. Like he, yeah, it was. Sounds it, it. It probably took a good five years off his life. Like, you know, that's that. That's the indie way, right? You do everything yeah. yourself. It's great. We learned a lot, but with this next project, we were looking to think to figure out, you know, how could we do this, but uh, with the support of somebody else, like the yeah. traditional publisher model. So, you know, working with someone like Private Division means that we. You know, for example, I can I can like lean on someone else to help with marketing. We can lean on someone else to help yep. with you know if we wanted to bring it to different platforms, they can they can help us with that. Um, and really just allowing the team to focus on making the creation, yeah, yeah, making a video game. And that was very that was something that we weren't we weren't like we were obviously shopping around to all different options. But at that point in time, we're like, oh, that that's actually a really that could be a really interesting idea. Because one thing with this this project as well, which is very important to us, especially um, to the founders and myself, is around building a game game in a sustainable way. So the leadership yeah. team, um, the founders, and, and myself, we are constantly figuring out, you know, what's the best way to make a game. So you know, avoiding that the big the big C word, the crunch. Yes, word. yeah, crunch. Uh, so looking at that and understanding that you know we want to build a game, we want to be able to you know see our families. <laughs> And you know all that kind Enjoy of stuff. Enjoy your life. Yeah. Play play video games. All that kind of thing. And you know working with. And then someone, 2020 happened. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> working with someone like Private Division allows us to do that as well because they have yep. obviously a ton of experience on their end as well. So that was a that was something that was very very exciting for us. And working with them, we can you know share knowledge and obviously as well they have other games that they've published. So we get to, you know, have access to some information around how that worked, you know, what worked, what didn't work and what they do yeah. next time, all that kind of stuff. Really, really awesome. So Yeah, I mean League of Geeks is one of a few acclaimed indie studios that kind of climbed on board at the same time there. Mm. That was that was I mean, that's really exciting for all parties involved there to kind of see what you're all up to. And I'd imagine there's probably a little bit of insight that you do get as a result of having that that mm. entity above all of you to be able to, you know, peek in to see what's uh, what's being developed over here and have a bit of a look in what's going on that and share some ideas and again that networking that we discussed before yeah, i'm sure exactly. there's a bit of that that comes with it too yeah exactly. which would be great yeah it's awesome especially once again as being little old, old australians out here it's always great to see what's going on especially when we we aren't able to travel as much and um, yeah. get access to all that information so that's been that's been really really awesome 
That's fantastic. And uh, everyone, you're just going to have to excitedly wait for I whenever know. the announcement finally comes. No, yeah, no, I know. There's nothing. That's, that's how this business works and we don't need anyone jeopardising that. So that's <laughs> it's just something to look forward to, everyone. Mm-hmm. One of the other cool parks, uh, parts of League of Geeks over the, over the time that Armello was in development, and I'm, I'm assuming that's maybe still continuing a little bit as well, is kind of a little bit of assistance being lent to some other studios as well. So I, I think about like Push Me Pull You with House House and uh, yeah. Paperbark with Paper House. What, what sort of level of involvement have you specifically had in that? I guess maybe <laughs> producer sort of level, you get to touch on it a little bit. Yeah, definitely. What, what's that been like, working oh, with other people and their visions, I guess? That's been, that's been really, really exciting. It's, it's something that I, I didn't really know as much when I started working at League of Geeks until I really, like, you know, the first year that I was working there is, you know, they, one of the values of our studio is about, it's about the community and supporting um, other game developers. It's not just, we're yep. not in our own silo making our own thing. Um, we want to be able to help the broader community, you know, lifting lifting everyone up together so uh when when house house were releasing push me pull you um they were obviously within the same um the free play scene that trent was heavily involved with and they were looking for support to release this game they had this opportunity to release on playstation and they needed development support Uh, because at that time they were still they were still relatively new to the whole making games thing and they came in with us and and really my role in that was just to help them with publishing so similar to what i was just talking about with private division um, on the other side of it was me going okay well this is how we submitted to sony and this is what you have to do so helping them with just even something as simple as giving them our spreadsheet templates that we've already had before yeah and and that kind of thing is just like it's you know maybe a week's worth of legwork that they didn't have to do um yeah and, i mean things like cert for example are a scary oh, yes. and intimidating process and yes. to have people around you that have been through that and can share mm-hmm. some some degree of knowledge i'm sure there's a little bit of it that is kind of their special source on the yeah. background on the sony end as well <laughs> or or whatever other um you know console or hardware manufacturers we're talking about but to have that someone with that experience would be invaluable to mm-hmm. a small studio who's just kind of cutting their own path Mm -hmm. and and with paper house it was it was very similar again it was about you know mentorship and giving them advice and and helping them like giving them our knowledge that we have and and working with them i think even just at some stages like reviewing their production timelines um giving feedback on the game itself and any way we could help and support them just just ship the game was something that we we came in and did and and i personally absolutely love that because it means it's you know a brief moment in time that i can focus on something else and these both of these games the reason why we obviously supported them was because they really deserve to be made um it's not about you know them becoming once again among the next among us but within the australian game scene we want to see more of these different and weird and wacky games being made and i think it's important for us to support developers to do that and that's why we we chose these two specific teams and look at house house now yeah i was was about to say it's it's very very clear that what they learned from you and the team when it came to push me pull you is exactly what led to the unbelievable success of untitled goose game yeah we were we were very lucky trent got to accept a bunch of awards on their behalf last year at dice summit in vegas nice and it was it was weird like i felt like a proud a proud grad yeah exactly um but those that team are insanely talented with or without us but it was it was something that i like that game that team and once again being a very australian um group of people i think was really really awesome to see them come to that global global stage yeah and I think it uh, says very good things for Terry and the team at Paperhouse. Yeah, that, uh, they're next. Whatever, whatever comes next, 
Well, we've just seen what happens with House House, so I'm sure you're about to create your own Goose Game as well. <laughs> but also, I mean, all, all titles involved are fantastic and, and it must be really, really valuable for you as well to just kind of see how others kind of think creatively about their processes and... Yeah, that's the thing. I just love I just love video games, right? It's just like yeah. I want to see, and it's it's a big reason, like I always say with, you know, more diverse people making games is a very selfish thing for me because I just want to see different video games being made. Yeah. Like, you know, would we have games like Gone Home being made, which is one of my like indie favorites, and would we see, yes. yeah, Paperbark being made if it wasn't for that particular team? And games deserve, all different games deserve to be made. And that's, that's something that I think is really, really important. And... We're very lucky, especially in Victoria, to have like organizations like Film Victoria believe in so many different types of not yes. just games but game makers, and I think that's we're we're very very lucky. <laughs> yeah, we're we're in a great place here, and it, but it is good seeing that at, you know various different scales around the globe that we are starting to see more of that as well. Mm-hmm. It's not just contained to our wonderful local scene. There's you know we see little pockets of this around the world, and it's been nice seeing. I feel like in the last 12 months, you know, other parts of the world even that haven't really been represented in any way, not just in terms of their parts of the world being represented on the screen, yes. but even like studios or, mm. or teams of people anyway that are from, from different parts of the globe that you never really hear. I feel, like in, I feel like in the last 12 months, I've heard so much more about the Southeast Asian kind of part of the world and some, and some of the studios that are, that are popping up there and some of the tiles they're doing. And that's been fantastic to see. And mm. I'm sure, I mean, I'm a little bit ignorant, I guess, what had maybe gone on, you know, five, ten years ago. I'm sure there was some really cool stuff coming out of there all, but for one reason or another, they weren't being spotlighted or recognised or found. Mm-hmm. And, it, you know, it comes along and surprises us all now, but really they've been doing fantastic stuff for ages. Yeah, and it's, it was something that I was hoping, great to see. I was really, really hopeful for with with the, the sadness of 2020 was that, you know, without having, you know, a very American-centric uh, big, big events and big workshops... Uh, and conferences that maybe would see a much more flattening of that of that access yeah. to funding and access to publishing. So um, there's been some great initiatives that have been done to you know re- reinstate the idea of networking globally. Um, so obviously yeah. we have Twitter and everything, but um, it's just it's just one of those things. It's been interesting to see that, like you said, like more and more um, non just like even Western uh, Westernized developers get to that forefront, which is great. More of it. Yeah, I, yeah. I mean, I think a weird byproduct of the fact that you know, everything went digital last year meant mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. I guess a lot of these people that are looking to host these shows are, I'm sure initially it's out of a, we need to get more games, what can we do? But as a result, it's forced them to look outside their own four walls and they've found that there's this wonderful catalogue of titles out there or, or developers or just people out there doing some really, really t- uh, amazing things. And mm. looks like we're all about to reap the benefits finally as these <laughs> games start to reveal themselves. So, well, you know, once the trash fire of COVID kind of ends, I suppose. <laughs> So you've achieved some wonderful things so far in in still a ultimately a, a very brief tenure in the industry. That's fantastic. But who inspires you? Like, is there is there anyone that you that you've worked alongside, or maybe you look at from afar, maybe mm-hmm. increasingly afar these days since no one can <laughs> go and see one another, but that really inspires you in the way you've gone about your work? Yeah, definitely. I um had the very um very good fortune recently of uh, recording a little snippet of this type of thing for the Baftas recently because one of my mentors and someone that I respect greatly, Siobhan Reddy from Media Molecule. Oh yes. Um, she got a fellowship at the Baftas, and I got to record a little congratulations. Um, nice. She really really inspired me greatly um, during my. Korea, I um to go back to Film Victoria again. Uh, they have a at that 
at a point in my career where I really needed it, they had a fellowship program and they granted me this fellowship to basically amplify my career in a very short period of time. And I got to go spend a month with Siobhan at Media Molecule. I got to spend a month at Obsidian uh, learning from their producers. And I got the full grace and support of my amazing founders at my work. And I was like, okay, I'm going to go away. I'm going to leave for like six months. But I promise when I get back, I'll be a much better producer. I'm and not going to abandon you either. I promise. <laughs> like I'll go and I will come back. Yeah, I'm like I'm 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 coming back. I have to. I have a return ticket. But you know, it was one of those things. Once again, I I cannot sing their praises enough. But like Trent, as um, I, I it's funny. I always call him my boss. But everyone's like, why do you call him your boss? You're just like friends. But I'm like, technically, he is my boss. But he, you know, he's given me. You know, he's taught me in a really great way. That has always given me. You know, what, what's the saying? Enough rope to hang myself. Like it's probably yep. a terrible analogy now, but I, it's a horrible phrase. It's but it a makes horrible sense. phrase, but it was one of those things. Like he really understood how I learned, and that was just by trying things out and potentially stuffing up. And you know, that was this was the next part of that career phase for me. And I got to work with Siobhan and see how she works, and it's honestly like it was amazing, and it was really really inspiring, and also relieving as well. A big part of it was a relief because I saw how she worked, and I saw you know you you can idolize people and especially in the games industry it's very easy easy to put people on pedestals on a pedestal and she was just a real person and a real yeah. human being that would also make mistakes also have flaws and at that point in time i think also being you know very a-type personality overachiever i was like i have to be the most perfect producer i can't ever make mistakes people can never see any cracks in my in my personality whatsoever yeah. And alongside um, with Siobhan and uh, Trent as my bosses in, in, in his mentorship, I've been able to figure out a really nice way of being both a real person as well as being, you know, a, a producer at the same time. Yeah. Um, and so that, that's been really, really important for my career. Um, on top of that, I've just, I've just been, I've just been surrounded by awesome, awesome, awesome people and especially awesome women uh, in Melbourne, especially like my co-founder and CEO of Girl Geek, Sarah Moran. She just like, we are like sometimes very like opposites and we just push each other and we have, you know, I'm very detail oriented while she's very big picture and we constantly just, you know, she's always, you know, asking the questions and like, is this what you want to do? What, what, you know, pushing me into the right directions and, and really just like, I think in games as well, we have this, interesting like martyr complex sometimes where we're like we have to sacrifice ourselves to be you know the tortured artist and yes. sarah being that doesn't have to be that way she's like no it doesn't have to be the way she's like you can you know what's what's a way to make this sustainable it's like and coupled with the the vision of league of geeks and the values there i've been that's really shaped me as a person to be like okay i also need to have a personal life i don't i don't i don't need to be that tortured artist to be a good producer to make great things and and it's actually better for me to live a life and, you know, have all these other experiences and bring it to work as well. So, yeah, very, yeah, sure. very, very lucky. I have amazing, amazing people. And probably, I'm yeah. pretty, probably sure I'm missing a million other people that have inspired me, but they're the, they're the main, one, main ones for sure. No, I mean, you've surrounded yourself some, with some really fantastic people. And, you know, obviously you've mentioned uh, Siobhan and a few others there, some fa- fantastic people abroad who've been doing it on a really big scale but then there's obviously some really fantastic people locally that you've gotten to work with as well and mm-hmm. will inevitably get to work with in the future as well mm-hmm. so it, it'd be really exciting this is a great place to be in terms of game development mm-hmm. i feel like you've probably already answered this, this a little bit just through your last response <laughs> but what have been some of the most valuable lessons and experiences you've picked up over the over the journey so far i'm, I'm sure there would have been tons that you left uh, learned specifically from that time at media molecule and obsidian but there'll be other stuff too i'm sure 
Yeah, I think um, I think the biggest learning experience as a producer and as someone that sits more in like the leadership team at League of Geeks, it's that a lot of these every problem that we faced it's not unique to the games industry. And it's one of those things we can think, okay, no, games are very... Obviously, games are very specific. It's like I said before, it's technology meets the arts. It's very, you know, unique. But, you know, there are so many other industries that have solved these problems before. And I think that was a really important thing for me to learn is to, like, not just focus on games, but look outside of games and, and look outside to other industries. So, you know, we still go to workshops that aren't necessarily for the games industry. So we've gone to workshops that are maybe for more the tech sector because they've solved those problems before. Um, We use a service at League of Geeks called Culture Amp, which is about being able to help us understand the culture of the studio and how good everyone feels. And that's a technology solution that, you know, big enterprises use and everything, not just game, not many games. But it's still applicable to your space as well. Exactly. Um, You know, all these types of things, that's, that's been something that I've learned a lot and I think is incredibly valuable, not just to be in the silo of games and not just live and breathe games all the time um, because that's just, that's not going to be conducive to the games that we want to make or the way we want to make them. Detached to the world around you and a little bit oblivious to the fact that there are better options and better ways out there. So it's fantastic. Yeah, that's that's been a really big learning curve, probably I'd say over the last you know few years, and and obviously just another another big one that um, we've had uh, amazing studio manager Megan Nan that's joined the team a couple of years ago, um, and also the founders really really support this. Just about you know mental health and taking care of yourself. I'm you know if someone told me to work forever, I probably would if I loved it. I'm very like I'm overachiever as I said before, yeah. but you know having someone to tell you you just got to go home it's it's 6 30 you're done you got to go home it's been something that i've i've been really struggling with and really learning to like separate those things (laughs) but it's so important especially last year it was a i was a big thing last year i was living one bedroom apartment office living space all the one space like (laughs) having to i mean it'd be very easy Yeah, given, given the circumstances, it'd be very easy to just completely fall down the well there and struggle to detach yourself from it. Yeah, mindfulness, so, all that stuff, super important. See a therapist, all that, all that stuff, very, very important. So a couple curly ones <laughs> as we wrap things up. I, I highlighted before we started recording, there might be a few yes. little ones at the end there. Uh, if you could be credited for any one game ever, in any capacity... You just get to t- uh, so mm. it could be as simple as just special thanks, but it could be right up there on a, a producer oh, level. That's for example. a really good question. You've got the entire spectrum to work with here. So, what game would it be? Oh, I, I, I I'm trying to think of like a cool answer, like a really cool, like <laughs> like you know, niche indie game that no one's really ever heard of. But I was going to say, I Dota Two is my favorite game. I play yeah. Dota Two every day. I would love to get. I would love to get. A credit for a VO. I want a VO voice line. If anyone oh, nice. can make that happen, give me any character. I'll make it happen. They've got a Kiwi character they've just put in recently, and I credit that to the fact the game's been living in New Zealand. But yeah. um, get yeah, me, we'll just get me in there. Get me in there. Easy. I'll do it. <laughs> Easier than ever. We'll just. I mean, New Zealand's. Uh, I think they're still mostly doing pretty well when it comes to COVID. Yeah. Mostly things are pretty good here, <laughs> with a couple little exceptions. Hopefully Queensland sorts its current dramas out. Oh, no. But um, you know. We just pop you on a plane, meet yeah, Gabe. Get me in done. there. Get me in there. Uh, I'll, I'll, um, I'll do him proud. I'll, I'll do a really good voice. I'll, I'll make it funny. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Uh, <laughs> you've pitched successfully, pitched me. So let's let's make this happen. 
Um, I'm actually very lucky. I already have a character in World of Warcraft, by the way. So if anyone hasn't hasn't seen that, I do have my name in World of Warcraft. I'm, a, I'm an NPC. I'm very, very lucky. Oh, really? Yeah. So a, Nice. A, yeah, a, um, amazing. Uh, one of the quest designers over at uh, Blizzard was a big fan of Armello. And while she was writing quest lines, she was playing, like listening to our Twitch streams. So a bunch of us are in the Prep Foot clan in... We're Torrens, I think. Yeah, so I've got a party hat on, and yeah, so I'm in. I'm in. Wow, Lisi Prepfoot. I'm in there. <laughs> After all that World of Warcraft talk before, I you, know. You're featuring in the game. <laughs> it's definitely my like biggest like like cred moment. I feel yeah. No, that's that's awesome. Especially you know they're they're, listen, they're listening to you and your antics, and they've decided no, hang on. I'm a, I'm need a do- that one in yeah, the game. Yeah, I'm a doomsday prepper. Our NPC clan is like a doomsday prepper, so I think it's great. <laughs> Similar, st- similar style of question. If you could wipe your memory of any one game and just get to replay it for, you know, essentially the first time, that clean experience, what game would it be? Oh, these are good. I'm glad. I'm really glad that I. It's, it's yeah, the last I'm one really, of these, yeah, by the way. I'm but. glad. I'm glad to know this. Um, maybe, maybe Fable Two, or oh yeah, yeah, maybe Fable Two, or. Yeah, I reckon. I reckon that that was a very, I, a very special game. That was a very, very special game. Um, it's the dog, isn't it? Because we all love the yeah, dog. Yeah, and the chick th- chasing the chickens around. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think. I think I'd have to say that. I think. I don't. I don't even know. Oh. It, it's a difficult all, one. All There's gone, so many all choices. Gone home. Gone home. Definitely was like, you know, if I could, I because I could never experience that again. That experience of playing that game through for the first time. So probably gone home yeah see i never quite got that experience the first time playing gone home anyway because the internet managed to spoil it on me before i so so i kind of i i know there's like many really fascinating components to it Mm. but the i guess the the big yeah the big story beat that was spoiled for me beforehand i'm trying i'm I'm dead i'm dead for anyone therefore you also wish you could have erased that from your memory i i remember my mum. my mum spoiled sixth sense for me as a child and i would never forgave her for that it was something that i constantly remind her about like you spoiled sixth sense for me it's like you have those things that get spoiled for you and you'll never forgive that that and and sometimes you just don't go and engage with whatever that thing is whether it's a (laughs) film or tv show and so i mean what's the point uh, i i don't i don't know if you're a star wars person at all but the internet being what it is these days oh, managed to no. spoil with uh, the second season of the mandalorian oh, and, and, no. and certain key characters that feature there and i haven't gone and watched it since oh no internet never forgive the internet for that it's a <laughs> blessing and a curse so lucy thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing the, the stories and experiences uh there's going to be many fantastic things to come i'm sure i think we're all very excited to see what comes of this partnership with private division and what ultimately is the the next title um, I won't press you to find out when we'll learn a little bit more about that because I know exactly where the, uh, what response I'll get. We, we spoke before about dancing around the answers. so The future. Um, in the future. Sometime in the future. Yeah, sometime between now and when the game's out, you'll hear about <laughs> it. Uh, but for anyone who's looking to reach out to you to learn more about what you're up to, to learn more about Girl Geek Academy, League of Geeks, where would they be best to go? Best places, Twitter. I'm on Twitter all the time. Twitter.com slash LisiK. L-I-S-Y-K is the best place to find me. I have open DMs too, because if anyone wants to ask questions, I I love chatting to people about video games. It's like obviously obviously I love talking about it, so yeah. um I, I post a lot of bad memes on Twitter, but I also like to talk about game development as well. So I mean yeah. the internet needs more bad memes, so <laughs> uh, <laughs> plenty of really good ones. We need more really bad, mm-hmm. horribly dodgy ones. Mm-hmm. So 
make sure make sure to follow there and uh, that'd be fantastic in, and you speak a lot about Girl Geek Academy and those sort of things there too so yeah it's all um, linked in my bio too you can find yeah. both League of Geeks and Girl Geek in my bio over there so check out all those details everyone because you'll be in for a good time mm-hmm. and bad memes <laughs> thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing those stories and experiences I really really appreciate it thank you so much for having me that was really fun it was very fun and listeners as always thank you very much for listening and I'll see you next time That concludes this entry of Dev Diary. Be sure to subscribe to this feed, share it with your friends, and give us a five-star review to help boost the show up the charts for greater exposure. If you have any people you'd like me to reach out to an interview, then please find me at Paul James Games on Twitter to help me get in touch with them. Until the next episode, however, that's been Lisey's story. Thanks for much, li- thank you much for listening, and I'll see you next time.